0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit wholefoodsmarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by N. saxe B, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network.
3: Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Uh, It's now a Friday afternoon, different than our our old recording time. We've moved from Mondays to Fridays. Um, So I guess that's the first announcement. Um, Join us every Friday now at 4 p.m. for Cutting the Curd. Um, and I'm really happy to be back with everybody. I'm your host, Anne Saxelby. I've been gone for the past couple months on maternity leave, taking care of my little boy Max, but I am super excited to be back in the studio. And Max is actually right outside the glass door of the studio with my mom, Pam. So it's awesome. It's like, you know, we're not even we're not even separated. Um but uh I know a lot has been going on since I've been out of the of the studio. Um Jack, our wonderful engineer and producer, was just telling me about uh, a new uh, salon, a new monthly salon series that the Heritage Radio Network is putting on. Uh, the first one is February 20th, and it's going to be held at the Heritage Foods USA offices, which are right around the corner from Roberta's on Siegel Street. And the theme of the first one is beer, bison, music, and more. So if you love Heritage Radio Network, you can head on over to Heritage Foods USA's offices and uh, HRN's offices as well and uh, take part. Um, for more info, you can visit heritageradionetwork.org and get all the details. Um, but so today I'm very pleased and honored to have with me in the studio, Homa Dashtaki, who is the proprietress of, um, the white mustache, which is, a, a yogurt company. Thank you so much for being with us. My Homa.
4: pleasure. Thank you for having me.
3: <laughs> so I was, I was actually saying, you know, well, proprietress, it's so dumb. It's like actor, actress, you're the proprietor and you started this business actually, um, with, others so I probably should not say
4: that there's just one owner is that correct um, yeah well I don't know what the, the term would be but it's my whole family owns this business it's me and my dad started it um, and my mom and sister help out so that's all four of us
3: that's so great no. that's really great keep it keep it in the family <laughs> exactly um, well so let's start at the beginning how did you find yourself making yogurt
4: um, well, we've made yogurt in my family for years, um, and we just make it at home, we incubate it old school style. I think a lot of families do it in this way um, across many different cultures. And but the way we started making it professionally is that my dad and I were sitting one day, and um, it was in January, and we were like, he was retired, and I was unemployed, and we're both like you know bored, and it all started out <laughs> kind of as a joke. And, you know, his yogurt was pretty famous in our small community. And we, I was like, Dad, let's just make yogurt. And we made yogurt, and we gave it some to my cousin, who has, like, three kids. And we gave it to my aunts and uncles and friends. And then, you know, they were like, you guys should start a business. And I was like, well, all right, we'll just try to get into some farmer's markets. And this tiny little seed of an idea that's always been there, like, in our back pocket, just kind of took off and has been taking off like a runaway train, so...
3: That's amazing. That's totally amazing. I feel like the best things in life are kind of like happy accidents like that where you don't plan for it. And then you're like, wow, this is actually like what I want to do. Right.
4: And they're so obvious. It's like something that's always in your in your face. And you just I'd never seen it before. So
3: exactly. Exactly. Well, okay. So the white mustache is the name of your company. Right. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about where that name comes from?
4: Yeah. um, So. The name came, uh, my cousin, Firuza, we were all sitting around eating it, and I was like, we need a name for this. And she was like, why don't you call it the white mustache after your dad? Because my dad has this enormous... handlebar mustache and (laughs) me and my sister totally take credit for having it turned white over all the stress we've given him (laughs) over the years so it just turned out to be perfect name and it works with the whole white mustache milk mustache sort of exactly i was gonna say
3: after eating this yogurt i can see you know why you would have the other significance of the white mustache because you know i was like wolfing it down and you could definitely see people just getting way too into it and totally winding up with the yogurt mustache the
4: best is when uh little kids have have it, 'Cause they just get it all over their face and it's like a white beard and it just like <laughs> it works on so many levels. So yeah. But-
3: that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, it's a very. It makes for really snazzy packaging too. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll link to uh, to your website, and so everyone can see it. But um, it's a very it's a very compelling logo as well.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's based on real life images. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um. So now, what's it like to work with your family, with your dad and your family? I mean, family businesses are you know notoriously difficult. I feel like to be a part of, and especially, and I feel like. Food can be such a bone of contention in families too. So what is what is that like?
4: Yeah, it. We've had our tense moments, um, and it's really changed a little bit of our dynamic. Because growing up, I mean, we grew up in a very patriarchal family. So this is like now um, me and my dad trying to run a business, and I can get really bossy sometimes. And it's like you know, and and he's very good with the cooking and the recipe and keeping me. In check and the nicest thing that's come out of the whole thing is I think growing up you always see your parents as kind of like a parental figure but as adults this has really given me an opportunity to enjoy my folks as people and to collaborate on this project that is totally outside of that dynamic that we had and so it's it's been really nice in that sense to just have those arguments or have those like accomplishments together.
3: Yeah, Yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and then also feel like in the end, there's no better support network than your family. Totally. So you guys are, like, in it to win it, I'm exactly. sure.
4: Exactly. Although I've been fired a few times, and my dad's been fired a few times. <laughs> We've all fired each other a couple times. So
3: what, is it, what does that look like? Is it, like, time out in the corner? Like, you're fired, like, I'm going to talk to you in an hour. Yeah. Or
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you're fired, and then there's, like, a very immature, silent treatment moment happening, and then everything gets resolved, so. That is yeah. really funny.
3: Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, um, can you tell us a little bit about, um, about the yogurt you make and the different, um, and the different varieties?
4: Sure. Um, so we make Persian yogurt and Greek yogurt. I think those are our staple basics. And Greek yogurt is really um, pervasive in the market right now. And um, it, it's become familiar to the Western palate, which is awesome because we don't have to explain it as much. It's really thick. And we hand strain our yogurt, so it's really creamy and naturally sweet, and it brings out the taste of the milk, Mm -hmm. um, which is great and very subtle. And then we have Persian yogurt, which um, I'm more familiar to, but um, I think uh, most people aren't, and that's more savory. It's got a soupy, looser quality to it, and um, it's used as a condiment or as a sauce, or we, we have it with chips all the time, so...
3: I feel like that's a really interesting distinction because I feel like yogurt is one of those things where people are like, yogurt is yogurt is yogurt. And that's so not true. Right? Um, There are so many different varieties, different textures, different starter cultures that can, you know, there's a whole world. Of yogurt that people don't realize is out there, I remember a customer of mine. This happens like weird stuff like this happens at the shop. She brought me um, cultures to make a, a a Scandinavian yogurt product called like fuel milk or something that's like right. kind of like coagulated milk it's like kind of soupy and I was just like, who even knew you know I feel like the more um, I'm in the dairy world, the more I realize that yogurt is this. I feel like it's this commonality throughout so many cuisines throughout the world and right. the little nuances are so special.
4: Right. Right. And I think, um, it's so different than cheese too. And I think that scares people sometimes cause cheese is based in like rennet and it's cooked differently. And the world of yogurt is in the world of like probiotics and bacteria. And, um, I don't know if the two worlds necessarily understand each other because they're so different in that sense. Like, I would never be caught making cheese. I had no idea how to start. Um, <laughs> but with the bacteria, I'm so comfortable and would experiment. And it's, it's led to a lot of interesting and some disasters, but some interesting flavors have come out, so...
3: And what would you say, well, I guess we're going to talk more about your specific recipes um, later in your production process, just because um, that's a whole other fascinating thing in and of itself. Um, But I, so you have, you weren't always a yogurt maker. Um, You have a background as in law. Is that right? Yeah. Um, And so... This is all, I mean, I read, I actually read an article um, online about, I was doing my my due diligence, my research about the white mustache and um, found out that you had actually been able to use your law degree in your uh, experience as a yogurt maker. Can you tell us about, about that?
4: Yeah. It's like you can't run away from certain things in your past. Like when I started making yogurt, I got so excited Um, that I'd be using more like physical labor as opposed to mental labor. But I had this background, and it found me. um, And um, we came into some regulatory issues in California because they require you to have a certain dairy permit that neither I nor the county where I was permitted to cook in in this really awesome Egyptian kitchen um, knew about. And once they um, told us about that, uh we got shut down and i used my my legal background and help from an amazing attorney out there named Mike Shipley at Kirkland who came to our aid and put together like proposal after proposal after proposal to kind of advocate for small dairy production um
3: and, and yeah And where did that end up? I know, um, because my understanding of it was, and I feel like a lot of people face this is, um, when you come to dealing with regulators, a lot of times there's a one size fits all mentality where, um, they're going to treat a business like yours the same way that they would a 500 cow dairy with big equipment and with, you know, all kinds of bells and whistles that, um, a small artisan producer isn't going to have access to, um,
4: And not even just not have access to, but I feel as a small artisan producer, like you're producing just as safe a quality product as an enormous factory. And I think different considerations should be made and they should look at the process. And I understand the perspective of the regulator. Like they can't go around regulating every single business, but we're missing out on a lot of amazing products because of that. Um, And so... You know, I have the privilege of the kind of background I have. So I found that, like, I had to do it. You know, anyone else would have walked away wisely from that battle. (laughs) (laughs) But
3: no, that more power to you, because I feel like there have to be people advocating out there just to yeah make regulators understand that, you know, of course, um, you know, all food products have to be produced in a safe way. But, um, you know, there are a lot of different ways that that can look and that can look like, you know, like I said, a 500 cow dairy. Where, you know, there are, um, you know, all kinds of um, different steps and procedures and rooms that you have to go through and sanitary solutions. Right. And, you know, it's kind of like walking, like you have like a hazmat suit on going through those places. Or there's ways of making perfectly safe products right. in, a, in a much smaller right. scale environment. So did you find that your fight... Um, resulted in any change or in the beginnings of regulators in California starting to look at small dairy businesses differently?
4: Yeah, in the course of when we've started our um, advocacy efforts, California passed this amazing law that's called the Cottage Food Laws, which allows people to make things like bread and cakes and things like that at their homes and be able to sell it. Um, It didn't reach the dairy level level for numerous um, reasons, but to me, that was a huge sign of progress. Um, And we, we just couldn't attach our dairy to that bill, but we worked with a lot of the same people. So, I mean, our voice was heard. It just, you know, we're still working on getting some results.
3: Right. Right. Well, I imagine that, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure a very frustrating battle to wage, but California also seems like the kind of place that is big on agriculture And that's big on dairy products because of the California real milk campaign um, or the in the cheese, the California cheese campaign. And so I feel like it could be something that if you chose to um, (laughs) return to at some point could yield great results.
4: Right. Well, we we just can't give up. Yeah, Yeah, it's not in my nature, unfortunately.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's lucky for us, uh, all the yogurt eaters out there. (laughs) Yeah. And for other um, small dairy (laughs) entrepreneurs, which, you know, there are more and more of all the time. Yeah,
4: No, and that's been the best part, communicating with people who feel us and what we're doing, but also trying to develop their own things. And we're totally encouraged by that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, with that, I think we're going to sign off for a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, what makes your yogurt different, how you produce it, and uh, more of the white mustache secrets. So stay with us on Cutting the Curd.
1: You're listening to When I Was Wrong by the California Honey Drops on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
5: When we were still at school All the good times that we shared Are breaking all the rules a trying
1: This program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Bread Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
3: All right, that sounds tasty. Wash-rind cheese, washed in beer. I could go for some of that right now. <laughs> we are back on Cutting the Curd. I am your host, Ann Saxelby. I'm here today with Homa Deshtaki, who is the owner of The White Mustache, a new yogurt company here in New York. Um, and so when we left off, we were talking about California and the troubles that you had faced with regulatory issues there. And now you have um, set up shop in New York right. and um, are an urban dairy producer. All right. And, um, so, and you were just mentioning that you have always lived in cities. So can we talk a little bit about that and how that's plays into your decision to make cheese here or make yogurt here?
4: Yeah. Um, I, I was, um, born in a big city in Tehran. My mom is from a really busy city of Bombay. Like I've lived in LA and I've lived in New York. Like to me, urban centers are my perspective. So Um, I think most of the regulations or most of the artisanal thinking is that, you know, you have to make these kinds of foods on a farm or out in the country. And my perspective has always been like, we can have urban centers that produce really, really great food. And like, I'm not a farmer. I don't know how to take care of a cow. I don't know how to milk one. Like, I'm counting on dairy farmers upstate to do that for me in a safe, well-regulated way. But once I get access to that milk, I can do that here in Brooklyn. And I think that New York is so welcoming to that kind of scene. And even, like, co in Oregon or California were always based out in the middle of, like, the boonies, which, like, I just couldn't relate to. And here in Brooklyn, I have access to the kind of urban facilities, um that the state fosters. So it's been, it's been incredible. I just feel so relieved. I'm like, what? It's not difficult. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> They're not going to tell me no at every turn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Can you tell, um, so where, where are you producing your yogurt currently?
4: Um, I'm producing it at a facility um, uh, uh, that currently makes ricotta as well. Fantastic. So, yeah. so there's
3: actually a, an already, established place that you can kind of um, rent time or whatever and and go in and produce your product.
4: Exactly. Exactly. That's fantastic. It's been amazing.
3: Um, Okay. So and you found that you were saying the New York State regulations are quite a bit friendlier towards your style of production than what you were finding in California. Ah, yes. That's great. That's great. Um, Okay. So let's get into the nitty gritty because this is the part that like fascinates me. Um, We were talking before about how many different types of yogurt there are out there what makes the way that you produce yogurt different than say you know somebody else would produce yogurt
4: um so most of the yogurts that are out in the market aren't made by hand because honestly it's kind of a tedious process it's like a three-day process and there's a lot of waiting a lot of cool down time a lot of manual labor um which i enjoy like i love that part of it um and Um, I think that's the main difference. So we uh, take the milk and we culture it and you have to, we incubate our milk um, under blankets. So it's held in ceramic bowls, which hold the heat longer than most other Mm -hmm. um, sort of dishware. And then um, every batch is tiny. It's like within a two gallon batch. Of production. And then we incubate using blankets, um, which then retain the heat or let it dissipate at a very, very slow level.
3: And what kind of blankets are we talking about? I'm sure this isn't like, you know, your your duvet, you know, whatever, feather bed comforter. What kind of blankets do you no, use? No, no.
4: We've actually noticed that fleece works the best and it has the least amount of pilling. So it's just been over the years of trial and error. Like first it was just like, whatever blanket is spare in the house um, when we were making it at home. Other people, if you just be like have a ceramic bowl and you put it in your oven, like mm-hmm. you can do this at home but in in that way. But we've noticed, like we just have a bunch of fleece blankets that we use. So I
3: love it. So that's yeah. supporting yet another arm of the farm economy. You can you know use the natural wool products. To- exactly,
4: exactly. We had a, a woman in California hand stitch all of our blankets. So we love that she contributed to our business in that way. So wow, yeah, it was cool.
3: That's very cool. So, so you incubate it under the blankets, mm-hmm. and ha- that process takes about how long?
4: Um, for the Greek yogurt, we keep it for about six hours, and then for the Persian yogurt, we keep it for eight. So the longer it stays, the warmer it is, the bacteria do more of their thing and, and just get really cultured and a little more tart, and then we put everything in the fridge. Um, And then the next part of our production is to hand strain it to Mm -hmm. get the Greek to be really creamy. So we strain everything through cheesecloth and um, we'll run it through by hand about three times. And the whole process of straining takes about three hours.
3: Wow, wow. And how much would you say you lose during that straining process? Because that's another thing that people need to understand. There's a reason why some of these yogurts are a little bit pricier than others because you lose quite a bit of the product during the straining process. Right,
4: right. I would say we lose about 30% wow. of the, the whey. Um, uh, and, and the whey, we, we're still trying to figure out what to do with, but it makes for great hydrating drinks and... Um, Actually, dogs love whey. There's, I, just, I don't know, I don't know how we figured that out, but like oh most God. dogs love to drink the whey. Um, I can totally see like can't
3: get enough of it. A dog bar outside yeah. of like that's so Brooklyn. A dog <laughs> bar for whey outside of your yogurt production plant. Yeah,
4: <laughs> it'll be awesome. We'll have troughs of it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah. Um. So so you strain it and then you um, refrigerate it, like you said, and then um and then you just package it and you're.
4: Yeah, um, we package everything by hand, and I write on the labels by hand, and I really enjoy that part of the process. I feel like each little jar is like a gift that um, you can have, um, and, and you know, we have different flavors, so it, um, we have a honey walnut one, and we pour the honey in the bottom of the jar, put some uh, walnuts in the Greek yogurt, and add that to the top, so... Mm. Um that's a very traditional Greek way I think of having yogurt. And then we have two typical Iranian flavors. One is uh, called musir, which is the word for shallots, and we mix our Persian yogurt with the musir and it's really savory. Um, and people have done such interesting things with it. Um, we love to hear what people do with um, the more savory yogurts that might be more unfamiliar.
3: Mm. And what do you find that people generally do? Like, um, do you just would you eat a yogurt like that just as a savory snack, or would you um, serve it with grilled meat or with a salad, or how would you how would you personally cook with it?
4: I the savory ones I find difficult to just eat straight out of a jar. Like the one with the honey and walnuts, I think makes an easier snack to just eat that plain. But the savory ones I love to have with pita. My favorite, like, growing up, the two, like, things you would have is, like, chips with yogurt. So, like, just lays potato chips or whatever potato chips and just pour yogurt on it and it's, like, a crunchy soup snack thing oh that sounds it's good very indulgent. No, it's
3: like a it's like a, a, the, the original pure like dip for chips you yes. know like people put all this garbage in their in their dips now no offense to the cool ranch lovers out there whatever <laughs> but um that sounds really good
4: yeah and then uh crunchy rice with yogurt is a traditional food for all kids that grew up in Iran and even here like just take some rice mix it with yogurt and for all like finicky children that's like the go-to meal so that sounds super good yeah so that's how we normally have yogurt
3: yeah well that's thank you so much because I feel like a lot of people um here aren't familiar with the savory yogurts and so it's helpful to get some tips about how to how to enjoy them right
4: well I'm getting tips people here are very creative on how to make it with some grilled meats and I, somebody wrote me that they had it with fried egg and it's all been very like i get to try it in different ways too so oh so that's cool
3: those both sound really good yeah. those bo- well the possibilities are endless if anybody out there has um different ways that you like to use savory yogurt you can always email us at info at heritage network um dot org and uh you can uh we can i don't know
4: yeah, pass it along. Pass yeah. pass it along. <laughs> tally
3: the recipes, and and you know, and pass those things to other people who, who love uh, who are yogurt lovers as well. Um, so, a little bit about um, culture because we we're talking mm-hmm. about the bacteria and how much they fascinate you and how integral yes. they are to your process. Um, what's the difference between the Greek versus the Persian in terms of um, what kind of cultures we're talking about?
4: Yeah, so the Greek one we worked on that recipe a lot because we try to have it be a subtle sweeter flavor just to so you could taste the sweetness and creaminess of the milk so we didn't want that taste to be overpowering so we found five different bacteria that really worked with that um and that's our standard recipe um, and then the persian yogurt needs far less coddling and it's it's more tart and so we can have different bacterias in there so we have a total of 16 bacteria different probiotics in the persian flavor so wow um and we can provide lists of that for anyone who's interested but i don't really know them off the top of
3: my head yeah no worries they all have those crazy long scientific names anyway so
4: exactly we like abbreviate each one (laughs) l-a-b-a so that's how we that's how we roll
3: excellent and so um I mean, yeah, it's just incredible the the variety of flavor um, that you can get and how much consideration goes into those cultures. but another thing that's equally important to the flavor is the milk itself. Can you talk a little bit about where you source your milk and uh, what kind of standards you have for that?
4: Um, our standards aren't that scientific. It really just stems from having a milk tasting party and deciding which milk, like in a blind test, which one tastes the best.
3: That sounds like a great party. Yeah,
4: it was awesome. Um, and you know we we had a we we had a milk source out in California based on that technique, and then <laughs> and then here in New York we picked Hudson Valley Fresh Milk um, off the same technique so
3: they're great yeah. they're great it's a it's a co-op upstate new york um i believe started by a physician um who wanted to save dairy farms and provide you know city city dwellers and and people upstate with delicious milk so yeah.
4: so new york has its fair share of awesome milk it was um it was really fun to try all the different milks so
3: that's awesome yeah, yeah just recently um I somebody was uh came to the shop and they were doing that with butters Um, we were selling a really special butter from this small farm in Vermont that usually doesn't sell retail and a woman came in and bought it and she said she's going to have a butter tasting of like 26 different butters (laughs) and um it was you know I was like oh man yeah that sounds like a great idea so taking shots of milk sounds equally fun yeah um so so this is a new venture for you in New mm-hmm. York. Um, but can uh, people find your yogurt in stores? Um, and if so, where can they find it?
4: Yeah, actually, we're going to be on shelves at three different stores uh, starting next week. Um, we're going to be at The Larder on Flatbush in Brooklyn. We're going to be at Calustian's on the east side. And we're going to be at Gastronomy 491 on the Upper West Side. Um, Fantastic.
3: So, yeah. Fantastic. So. And that I mean, those are... Those are stores with some chops I mean yeah especially Calusians, that's great Um, yeah I love that store they're
4: they're all great stores and um, we're just hoping to meet the customers and do some demos Um, so we're going to be at gastronomy 491 this Thursday just meeting people and sharing our story so if anyone wants to try out different flavors
3: that's fantastic so what uh, um, what time will you be there
4: I will be there in the afternoon from 2 to 4.
3: From 2 to 4 at Gastronomy 491, and that's on up the Upper West Side? Yes. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Great. And so um, where uh, so if people can't make it to Gastronomy for the tasting and want to learn more about your yogurts, do you have a website where people can visit?
4: Yeah, you can visit the website at www.thewhitemustache.com or just email me at homa at thewhitemustache.com, and I answer all the emails myself. So it's a lot of fun
3: excellent well um we are super excited um well i say we the the royal we as cheese lovers in new york and yogurt lovers we're very excited to have you on the scene and uh thank you so much for coming in to talk with me
4: no problem my pleasure thanks for having me
3: yeah well um join us again next friday at four for another episode of cutting the curd on the heritage radio
2: network you're listening to cutting the curd hosted by ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Anne Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Anne Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website,